Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you're new today, my name is Greg Montague. I'm uh, the pastor here and just thrilled that you're here and trust that, uh, trust that everything's happened, already has touched you and blessed you and trust that what uh, we're about to do will as well. Let's bow our heads and pray one more time and then uh, we'll dive into the message time this morning, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone within the sound of my voice. Thank you that each one has been created by you with a plan and a purpose. They're not here by accident. They're not tuned in today by chance, but in fact, um, you have a plan, a purpose for them. Ask God that as we look at your word, that you open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to your will for our lives. Help us to choose to walk in it for our good and the good of the world we live in. Thanks, God, for your grace, for hearing our prayers. It's in the name of Jesus we lift this prayer. Amen. There's some amazing homes in the world. At one time, I actually thought about being an architect, and so there's this part of me that just loves homes and uh, just the fascinated with uh, style and design of homes and those kinds of things. I've got a few pictures of homes that I recently ran across that I particularly like, and uh, these may not be your favorites, but they are some that I really, really like, and my guess is that you could live with any one of them, Okay. <laughs> I love this top left. I mean, if you just look at that picture, I mean, here, here we are on you know, a Hawaiian coast and just look at those chairs that just rise out of the water and you just look to the west, watch the sunset. Does that not just feel relaxing just to look at the picture? And then if you get bored with that, you know, the, the one below it, you know, look at the, this beautiful log cabin in the woods and that uh, beautiful fire pit down in the front. You can just walk out the front and walk down there and have a nice conversation, drink a cup of coffee and relax. And that, they're just beautiful and compelling. Or maybe you're the lake type. You like the lake. And so you've got this beautiful deck on this third house here. You know, and you sit out there and converse and look out to the water, watch people drown. <laughs> no, 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 not do that. But you could watch your neighbor water ski or just swim. And they've got another picture here. Yeah, they're getting me going here is what they're doing. Thank you. Uh, this next picture, I, I love this mountain, uh, mountain home here. Just... Right on, the, right on the water with the mountains behind it and the pines. and the, It's kind of as uh, autumn is setting in because you can see in the background, see the uh, aspens turning yellow. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful setting. This next one I enjoy as well. It's a totally different style. It's real contemporary, but here you are. I believe, it, is it the Kanapali Coast? Is it, or the, what's, which one is it? It's on uh, one of the islands. of. See that, that beautiful mountain range out there? That's also in Hawaii. And you got this spectacular infinity pool that just kind of spills over the edge with tables and chairs and so forth. I could go on and on showing you these kinds of pictures. Sadly, we just stir envy and all kinds of other things. But uh, they're beautiful places, aren't they? Aren't they just beautiful homes? I don't know if you noticed or not as we looked at those there, there's a particular feature in all of them. In fact, what you find is... Um, Really nice homes that are designed by architects and, and really, really nice ones. They always have a particular common feature. It was in every one of those pictures. You may or may not have noticed it. But an architect always plans an intimate space, a, a place within the home where people can sit and tell stories and laugh and have meaningful conversations and relationally reconnect and Every architect who's worth his or her weight in salt is going to have that kind of place in a beautiful home like one of these that we just looked at. It might be a fire pit. It might be a pool. It might be a deck. It may be a porch with a view. Even if it's as simple as a wraparound porch with rocking chairs on the front, it's, 
it's some place that you can sit and have those kinds of meaningful conversations and, and they're just beautiful. There's something about that that's just attractive to us. It's a place for people to relationally reconnect. Do you realize that God wants a relationship with every one of us and has done the exact same thing in his world? He's created places, sacred space, you could say, where unholy, broken people can reconnect with a holy and righteous God and find hope and help and strength and replenishment, where meaningful interaction can take place, where sometimes you can laugh, where sometimes you cry, where, where always there's peace because God is there. There are places like that that the Scripture tells us about where God wants to meet with us. He doesn't leave where those places are to, to vague uh, ideas of humanity. He tells us in Scripture where He wants to meet with us like that. And in this series that I'm beginning today, I'm going to walk you through Scripture and point out several places where God wants to connect with you and me in that kind of way. And every one of us, whether we realize it or not, wants and needs to relationally connect with God in the kinds of ways that I've been talking about. We were made for that. It's part of the fuel that we run on. You know, your boat runs on fuel, and if it runs out of fuel, what happens? You're dead in the water, right? Your car runs on fuel. If you run out of fuel, what, what happens? You're, you're like sitting along the side of the street, right? You and I spiritually run on fuel, and the fuel is, is the presence... The voice of God himself. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, Man, the evil one says to him, says, you know, make these stones into bread. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. What's he say? But by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Is that what he said? We live, spiritually speaking, and, and emotionally a whole lot of other ways. Our capacity for hope and strength in life is intrinsically tied to God speaking, God nurturing, God feeding, God fueling us in these sacred spaces and places that I'm going to walk you through for the next few weeks. Today, I want to show you one of those places where God wants to meet with every one of us. And if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I know when I say Luke chapter 2, what immediately comes to your mind? Christmas. It's the nativity, right? That's the early part of chapter 2. I'm going to walk you through the latter part of chapter 2. And here's the thing. I, okay, just a commercial for the Bible for just a moment. Okay, uh, don't look at that screen yet. Because this is easy. This is the lazy way. What is, what is the way that you know I want you to look at a Bible? Tell me. Look at a Bible. Grab one in front of you. Bring yours Open up your, uh, you know, I guess I have to surrender to the times we are a little bit. You open up your app on your phone, put it on airplane mode so nobody's texting you or Facebooking you during the course of the sermon because I will call you out. <laughs> I don't really like Facebook that much, but uh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, I would encourage you, read it, read it, read it. I would say this too. I'm thrilled if you've got an electronic digital Bible. Have a paper one. Have a paper one at home that you can read and memorize, that you can uh, immerse yourself in periodically. Some of you I know are tempted to say, ah, I don't need that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you don't now, you may someday. Make sure you got it now, okay? Now's the time you can go to the bookstore. You can buy, pick your choice, 
Pick one of the ones in front of you on the, the, the shelf in front of you. Take it with you. You need a Bible. If you don't have one, use one of the ones on the shelf. That said, after my Bible commercial there, in this passage, Luke 2, we find Jesus. He's an adolescent. He's a 12-year-old. What's he doing? He's already teaching, already modeling for everybody how to relate to God. As an adolescent, he's got it down. And I invite you to listen close to what he has to say to us in Luke 2. And actually, in this case, he's sort of parenting his parents a little bit, which, you know, it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough to be the parent of Jesus. Every year, verse 41 is where we're going to start. Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. Now, just pause right there. Clearly, Mary and Joseph were not helicopter parents. I, you, know, you don't get you know, that far away and uh, you know, part, part of the way down the road, a day's journey from Jerusalem north uh, and not know where your kid is unless you're not a helicopter parent. The passage goes on and says, because they assumed he was among, uh, let me go, his parents didn't miss him at first. That's the end of verse 43. Because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. He's just hanging with the families, what he, they assumed. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Is that an understatement or what? Okay. Three days later, what's going on for the three days in the parents' hearts and souls? I, you know, I can't even imagine the pillow talk from Mary to Joseph. We have lost the Son of God. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, you know, we laugh, but it was traumatic. It was, this is a big, big deal. Three, the text goes on and says, though, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Also an understatement right there. Son, his mother said, because his father in this moment was speechless. The mother speaks. Uh, Son, his mother says to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And listen to his response. Why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be where? What's the text say? In my father's house. Didn't you know that I needed to be in my father's house? Verse 50, but they didn't understand what he meant. The text says. Here's what Jesus was saying to them. He was saying, mom, dad, I mean, God is my father. And to connect with him, I, I've got to spend some time in his house. I've got to be there. Now, I want you to think with me, where is the public place for worship and listening to religious teaching and spiritual reflection and discussion and prayer in our day? That's church. That's church is what it is. In Jesus' day, it was the temple. In our day, it's the church. And Jesus shows us in these verses and others that we could look at this morning and if we had time. He shows us where and how to connect with our Heavenly Father in one of the places that God has, one of the sacred spaces in the world that God has set apart 
in order to meet with his creation that he's loved and created on purpose. His church wants to routinely connect with us there. And I want to show you from Scripture this morning three secrets to connecting with God when we're in church. Some of them show up in the text that we're talking about. Some of them show up in some other passages. But three secrets to connecting with God. Because some of us come to church and we think, oh, I didn't connect with God. Well, maybe it's not church that's the issue. Maybe it's how I'm doing church that's the issue. I would argue that if you take seriously what I'm going to talk about for the next few moments, you can go to any church, as long as they're teaching this book, you can go to any church and you can connect with God. If the worship is out of tune, you know, if, if instruments aren't there, or if they you know, break in the course of it, if the lights are too bright or too dim, you can connect with God. You take seriously what I'm going to talk about for the next few moments because it's right out of Scripture. I hope you'll listen because I know it was God's intent for you to connect with Him in the way I'm going to talk, walk, walk you through here. The first, the first secret to connecting with God when we're in any church, in church, is we connect with God when we engage with Scripture. We, we see this in the text itself, but we connect with God when we engage with Scripture. You've got a little handout inside of your bulletin. Grab that. You can take some notes. And I would encourage you, write down the passages of Scripture that I'm going to give you. If you do nothing else, just write down the passages of Scripture so you can reflect on them. But Jesus was engaging with Scripture in Luke 2 when his parents showed up and found him. Luke 2, verse 46, just look at it again. It says, three days later, they finally discovered him, finally discovered Jesus in the temple. Look where he is, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, why do I emphasize it the way that I did? Because Jesus was actively listening engaging with the scriptures as he was there in church. He was sitting in the midst of knowledgeable teachers. They were teaching and he was asking questions and he was discussing passages and he was trying to apply it to himself and to others as he was here. And people were amazed at his intelligence, at his, at his knowledge and understanding and his answers because why? He spoke. He wasn't mute. This wasn't a private thing between him and God over here where he's all spiritual in the private and I never get out in public and never acknowledge who I really am or how I really feel or believe about this book. He was, he was actively engaged with his faith in the scriptures. And it's one of the secrets of connecting with God in church is when you and I engage with scripture when it's taught. I you to think to yourself as you're reading it, you just... Just pray, Holy Spirit, how does this apply to my life? Just as you're listening, Holy Spirit, how does this apply to me? I mean, what do you want me to learn as I'm looking at this passage with Pastor Greg or whoever's teaching? I, how do you, how do you what, what are you saying? And discuss it with somebody around you, not as it's happening. But you know, it's this dialogue about it. Ask questions that come to mind. Do you know how I learned to work with electricity? I might add safely. 
you know, some of us learn by sticking things in light sockets we shouldn't, and you know, and then you go, whoa, that gets our attention. I, I learned to, to work with electricity because I bought this book at a hardware store before some of you were born, which is frightening for me to admit at this point in my life. But I bought this book, and uh, it's just entitled Basic Home Wiring Illustrated, because uh, that's the kind of guy I am when it comes to electricity. Just show me a picture. And so you read the book, and when we finished our basement years ago, I began to you know, learn little principles from it. Like, for example, before you mess with electricity, turn off the main power supply. It's an important detail. You know, and you just keep reading, and you learn these things. Eventually, with time, as I began to get the ideas and kind of could understand the diagrams, there were people that I knew at the time who I interacted with who were more knowledgeable about the subject than me. You know, I showed them little diagrams of what I was thinking that I was going to do, and we interacted about that. Um, I experimented a little bit with it. Thankfully, never had anything catch fire. But it was just like... I had a healthy respect for what I didn't, didn't know, did and did not know and kind of headed down a path gently in a direction that was important if I was going to learn to do electricity. My son did the exact same, same thing. He helped me finish the basement. He got it. In fact, there are diagrams here from him. But uh, what's interesting to me about this is that uh, that's, you, you, with electricity, you don't just read it and go be an expert at it, do you? I mean, no, you have to actively engage with the content of a book like this and the, the, the components of electricity in order for you to actually become skilled and adept at it. Friends, in a similar way, you and I are not going to, act, are not going to become just like Jesus. We're not going to become Christ-like simply by you know, just reading words in a book. We need to read the words in a book to know what it looks like, to get the picture. But then we've got to be engaged with this book actively with people around us who are also on the same journey in order for us to eventually approximate on some level what it means to look like Jesus, to be kinder than we naturally are, to be more loving than we would naturally be, to be more generous than we would naturally be, to, to become more virtuous than we're capable of being on our own. This is, this is how you do it. We need to read this book. We need to listen carefully as it's taught. We need to discuss with those who are actually living it out. We need to engage with it. Do you, do you see what I'm talking about here? Now, some of us may think to ourselves, I can do that without coming to church. So why is that important again? I would say, first of all, I don't know that you and I really can do that without coming to church. Just don't know what you can. I'm not talking about theory. I'm talking about practice. I don't know about your home. I got all kinds of distractions in my home. I can set aside a devotional time, but to, to read Scripture like I'm talking about, to internalize it deeply like I'm talking about, Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 15 sort of anticipates that kind of perspective, and it explains the difference that church makes. What's different about it is this. You know, it says in chapter 4, verse 11, there, these are the gifts Christ gave to what? To the church. Let me just say, 
These are gifts that are not in your living room. Gifts that are not necessarily sitting in your devotional, your, your devotional chair. I'm not saying don't have a devotional life. We'll get to that another week. But, but I'm saying these are gifts that God gave to the church. And he starts explaining the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. He's just talking about, you know, those who are uniquely gifted and called to, to teach and communicate about this book and the will of God and the ways of God and so forth. And he goes on and says, verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue. It's just like a duration here. How long is this going to go on? This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It's going to happen until we are so like Jesus that people confuse you from Him. Then we will, it, goes, it doesn't stop. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, this passage is a rich passage, it is full of verbal imagery. But let me give you the minimum of what it's saying. It's saying that good biblical teaching spiritually equips us. It helps us to measure up, not just to my expectation of what it means to be Christ-like, but what it means to, in fact, look like Him, live like Him, reflexively behave like Him. It helps us to leave behind emotional and spiritual temper tantrums and immaturity that every one of us is prone toward. Good biblical teaching like this passage talks about will give us an anchor in this world of moral relativism where the spiritual winds and waves change directions daily, it seems. And if ever there's a time that we need an anchor, today is that day, friends. Good biblical teaching protects us from being tricked with lies so cleverly marketed that they sound like the truth. If you're not careful, you'll be the sucker who takes the bait. That's what the passage is trying to communicate. And when you and I engage with Scripture in that kind of way, like we do every week when we gather here, we're going to reconnect with God in a way that just won't happen everywhere else in your life. It's the church is a routine, sacred place where God wants to meet with you in that kind of way. He designed it with that in mind, knowing that we have a fallen world and you and I need that. And he's gifted the church with people who can help make that environment happen. That's not all, though. Let me show you from Scripture a second secret to connecting with God when we're in church. And I would add any church for that matter. Second secret is we connect with God when we pray in church. I know some of you thought this was going to be a more novel topic, but just, just listen with me. We can pray anytime, can't we? 
And Scripture says pray without ceasing, right? But God especially wants to connect with you and me through prayer when we're in places like this together. It is different. His church, his, his body was designed by him to be a place of prayer, a house of prayer, if you will. You could argue that if you come to church and haven't prayed, you haven't really gone to church. Because the church is a place of prayer. Let me illustrate it this way. Do you remember the occasion in Jesus' life when he became so angry that he started tossing around tables and money in the temple? Remember the occasion? If you don't remember it, this is it. Mark 11, verses 15 and following records it. It just says, the scriptures say that when, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, when they got back to Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. Now, just think about it. If I was going to drive you out of this room, how does that happen? Is it, do you drive somebody out and say, hey, let's all go on out there? Is that how it happens? No, I'm going to start rounding you up, and there's, there's physical engagement and force associated with this, right? So he begins to drive the people were buying and selling animals for sacrifice out of the church. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. John describes this picture where he actually takes some, some, some uh, leather that was there and like makes these whips. I don't know if he was actually whacking people with that or not, but I can guarantee he was getting attention. You know, somebody who knows what to do that, you can uh, snap a whip and you can get attention right now. The scripture says, verse 17, this is what Jesus was saying as he was doing all this. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You've turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and the teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him crossed them there. Much could be said about this passage, but at a minimum we see that connecting with God in prayer, in public corporate worship gatherings like the temple, like church, prayer is an important priority to God. So much so that he calls his church, one of the names, is that it's a house of prayer for all the nations. Church is to be a place where we together meet with God in prayer. And apparently, it's so important that it was worth it to Jesus to make a scene in public, to disrupt church that day, you might say, and make some enemies. So I want to ask you, when you come here, when you go to church, I don't care where it is. I do care where it is, but you know what I mean. Wherever you go to church, wherever you show up, pray. Pray for the pastor. God help him. Pray that. Pray for the person sitting next to you. Pray for the people that you come in contact with. Somebody tells you that they got something going on in their life, pray for them. Sure, it's fine if you say, I will pray for you. But guess what? You can stop and pray for them right then. Because here's what happens. God, 
Scripture promises that where two or three are gathered in His name, He's there in their midst. He hears those prayers. He hears your prayers in this context. He hears them everywhere, but He hears them in this context a little differently than He hears them in some other places. I would encourage you as well, when you, when you walk in church, if you want to do church right, not only pray for other people, but receive prayer. Yeah, this is one of the things that I wish was a little bit different about us as a church, and it's partly it's our community, it's not just us, but we have this tendency, we're very reserved. We, we have a, you know, we just, we're not quick to say, I need prayer about this. Part of that's sometimes pride on our part, some of it's just uh, timidity, but... Friends, a church of all places ought to be a place where you can go and be prayed for. After all, it is a house of prayer. Prayer. You see one of your small group members and something's going on in your life, just grab him and say, would you pray for me? You got a business problem. Grab somebody and say, please pray for me. I've got this going on. Some of us come and we leave and we're still... We're still struggling, and the reason we're struggling is not because the, the sermon wasn't good and the worship didn't connect and et cetera. Et cetera. The, the problem is I needed prayer, and I was too proud to ask. I want you to understand this morning, the Holy Spirit created a place in your life that's called the church where you can come and be prayed for. And hopefully you'll have the courage to pray for the other people around you nearby too. You'll grow spiritually to a point where you can do that. Because again, the Christian life is not me and God against the world. It's us, the family of God, doing life together. Rejoicing and weeping with one another as the ups and downs of life occur supporting, encouraging each other, praying for one another. When you and I pray in this place, we're going to connect with God. God designed the church. Just as an architect designs a fire pit or a, a porch or some of these things for, for certain things, he, God designed the church to be a place routinely where we come and connect with Him, meet with Him, meet with each other to do the important business of life. There's a third secret to connecting with God when we're in church, uh, and the last one that I'll hit on this morning. That is, the third secret is we connect with God when we serve God by serving others. Here's the mental image that comes to my mind when I think of what I have in mind here, what Scripture has in mind. I have this mental image of a really good restaurant server. Why do I say really good? Because some restaurant servers get it and some of them don't. But a really good restaurant server, think of all the qualities that are characteristic of that person. I mean, they're attentive, right? They're helpful. They anticipate maybe needs even sometimes. I mean, they're, they're available and present. You know, they don't, they don't ask you, do you need water, and then go away and 45 minutes come back, right? That's not the way a good server works. There's just presence and there's engagement. They're, they're quick. They're friendly. All of these things that we, we understand. And friends, when you and I are serving God by serving others in that kind of way, 
you are going to connect with God. You who are doing the serving and the person who's going to be served in that way. Both of you. It's the mystery, one of the great mysteries of the spiritual realm is that both of you will be served by God in the process. Both of you. The church, from God's perspective, provides endless opportunities for each of us to become servants like that on Jesus' behalf. I don't have time for us to read as many scriptures on this subject as I'd like to this morning, but let me highlight a few verses to just make my point. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and following says, A spiritual gift is given to, notice it says, each of us so we can help each other. It's not given to us just for our benefit. It's given so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. And we could read on in the text. We could read in other places various spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. But verse 12 continues by saying that the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ a couple verses later, he picks up and just continues, how strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. Then it summarizes this whole analogy in this way. It just says, verse 27, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Then 1 Peter 4.10 adds this, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. And He instructs, use them well to serve one another because when we serve one another in the name of Christ, we are actually serving God. The Scripture is just saying in these passages and others we could read, serve God by serving others because in doing so, you're going to connect with God. And the other person is going to connect with God. And guess what? You're going to connect with that other person too. I mean, it's, it is a win, 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 win proposition. Maybe some of you this morning think to yourself, what is my gift then? Some of you think that. And let me tell you the only biblical way to identify your spiritual gifts. This is the only biblical way. We've got all kinds of things that we've done over the years. It's, you know, we take assessments, we analyze our preferences, we list our natural abilities. I mean, all these things that, that humans do, and that's just because we're hyper-analytical, and that's not all bad. But the only biblical way to identify your spiritual gifts is this. Begin to serve where there is a need. Repeat it with me. Begin to serve where there is a need. There was not much passion there, so help me. Begin to serve where there is a need. That's, that's the way you do it. You just volunteer wherever there's a need. And guess what? God created the church. It's, a, it's as though he designed it this way. He, he created the church to be a place where there would be perpetual, just an infinite list of opportunities for you and me to serve needs that 
as we engage in meeting a need, guess what? In the process with time, your gifts reveal themselves to you and to others, and what's not your gift will reveal itself to you and others. And because the church is the church, a place of grace and mercy, guess what? When you identify that's not your gift, there's not really judgment associated with that. It's just like, guess that's not your gift. And because the church is the church, when your gifts do emerge and it's visible for what it is, there's praise and glory to God and celebration for who God's made you. And every one of us needs that kind of affirmation. Every one of us. But guess who suffers when, uh, you know, the hand and the arm decide, ah, I'm just going to sit in a blue chair. You, know, you might be able to do some things still with one arm tied behind your back, but there are things you cannot do in this posture, right? Right? So that's why the Scripture goes to such great lengths to say, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. I don't want to function. He's saying... We're part of the family of God. If we want to encounter and reconnect with God, we've got to serve. We've got to serve. And I would, commit, I would contend that you could go to any church, anywhere, and if you will engage in Scripture, if you will pray and be prayed for while you are there, if you will look for ways to serve God and serve others while you are there, if you will keep your eyes open in those kinds of ways, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you will connect with God. And it can happen every week that you go there with that frame of mind. You were made for that. God's created His church all over the world to be sacred space where He can connect with you in that way. Friends, He's our Heavenly Father he wants to connect with you. You decide this morning that you want to connect with him as badly as he wants to connect with you. Maybe as you head out today, you need to engage in discussion with someone about one or more of the scripture passages we've looked at this morning. Maybe somebody's thinking, I didn't like that passage. I don't like that. I think you are a fruit loop and you can, you can come tell me that. I will humbly disagree with you, just to give you a heads up, but you can do that, okay? Maybe you got some question about one of these passages. I mean, here's the thing, you connect with God as you engage in Scripture with, in that way with, with people here. Maybe as, you, as we wrap up today, maybe you need, um, as you've been sitting here, you just keep thinking of somebody and you just feel like, I, I want to pray for that person, or you're thinking to yourself, I need to pray for that person, but you've been listening, so you can't really do that. Maybe today, if that person is here, you need to just go grab that person before they head out the door and just say, you know, let me just pray for you. I kind of dream of the day that somebody can't leave church because there's so many people lined up to pray for them. You just literally, they just, you know, one person finishes and the next person says, up, up, not my turn. And pray, pray for you, pray for you. Friends, some of us need prayer like that. Some of us in this room need prayer like that. 
And some of us, God's prompting us to pray for people. And because we're too timid to verbalize a prayer, um, somebody else is missing out on connecting and a blessing with you and with God. Southwoods increasingly has to become a house of prayer. Has to. Has to. In the world we live in, it has to. Maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting you to serve somebody in some way. Do it. Say, well, it'll cost this or that. Figure it out. Talk to the person. Talk to somebody else. Figure it out, and, and God, God will meet you in that. Friends, that is what church is all about. It's connecting with God, connecting with others. And as I wrap up, I just want to remind you of what Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, where it just says, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in this kind of way, as some are in the habit of doing. Let's look for ways to encourage and stimulate one another on toward growth and good deeds, especially as we're waiting the glorious appearance of our Savior, Jesus. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Go read it yourself. You were made for that. We need that, all of us. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer. Maybe you need to invite Jesus into your heart and life. He can and will come in and change you. His spirit will make you a different person if you'll humble yourself before him. Maybe some of you need to demonstrate your faith by being baptized. Uh, We can do that today. Just come tell me afterwards. We'll make that happen. Maybe some of you need prayer. Uh, Some of us down here willing to pray for you. It's okay to grab the person next to you and say, would you pray for me? And I encourage you to remember that we have the Super Sunday as well. It's going to take place in the Student Center. All right, let's bow our heads. We'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person here. They've come to connect with you. We know your word, that you're here. Thank you for connecting with us, strengthening us, giving us hope, giving us inspiration from your word to be your people, to live as lights in the dark place, to not grow weary in well-doing. We thank you for all of the things that you say to us by your sway of your word and your spirit that's here. And Thank you that you have this sacred space set aside for us. And if we leave here and move to another place, there's one there too. And It's all over the world because you are everywhere always. God, we need you, we rely on you, and we need each other. Would you help us to make Southwoods a house of prayer? We thank you for the extent to which it is now, but we know we can grow in this area. Help us. Help us to just be the kind of church you dream of us being the people you'd have us be. Go with us now as we leave this place. May the things we've talked about, the passages, echo in our minds, reverberate through our lives, and change our world for your kingdom's sake. We'll give you credit for everything good that happens. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen.